Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to the 60th episode of the Morning Round Trip Podcast. My name is Drew Frank here on September 8th, joined by my co-host Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And today we've got a, a variety of stories coming out from the MLB. The number one story is that we have received confirmation that all Puerto Rican players will be allowed to wear number 21 on Roberto Clemente Day, which is tomorrow and all Pirates players as well will be wearing number 21. Anyone that's not Puerto Rican or a Pirate is still invited to participate as they will be given the option to wear a number 21 patch on their jersey in memory of him. Roberto Clemente, an ambassador for the game during his time in the big leagues, uh, trailblazer especially for Puerto Rican players. I think this is a great sign from Major League Baseball. Obviously, we have Jackie Robinson Day where everyone wears 42. And I think this is a step in the right direction in honoring one of the game's greats. We also saw another very different story as Javier Baez spoke out about his struggles. And one of the reasons that he cited he's had some difficulties in 2020 is the changes to MLB's video policy. Because of what we saw with the Astros and how they were cheating, there have been a whole lot of changes for 2020, and Baez not able to look at his swings right as after he makes them. He's not able to go back to the dugout, see what he did wrong, see what he wants to do better, and make those in-game improvements, and he said it's really hurt him. It's prevented him from succeeding. A handful of other stars have said similar things, and kind of tough because he says pretty pretty blatantly that they weren't cheating, and yet they're being punished for it. So I guess a little bit unfortunate there for Javi Baez. Javier Baez, a guy who's probably known for being one of the most free-swinging batters in the major leagues, and he does need those opportunities to go back and look at what he's doing wrong especially when he swings at a slider that's three feet out of the zone. And this, like you said, it's not a situation where the Cubs did anything wrong necessarily, but, you know, you have to move as slow as your slowest moving person. And in this case, it's the Houston Astros. And because of their cheating, everyone gets affected. So Javier Baez has the Astros to thank for this video policy. And a couple transaction updates. A lot of them injury-based. We get Ryan Yarbrough back off the IL for the Rays, and as a result, Trevor Richards is demoted. We saw him pitch quite a few innings of relief in Washington last night, so it makes sense. A tired arm that won't be pitching for the next few days anyway. We saw Billy Hamilton claims by the Cubs. He will be joining them from the Mets, who put him on waivers earlier in the week. And he's now joining another team, as he seems to be bouncing around all over the place in 2020. And Teoscar Hernandez is officially on the IL with an oblique strain. We still haven't gotten a second MRI. Don't know how serious it is, but he is officially on the injured list now. Chris Davinsky, a guy who we saw on the IL for quite some time. He was first placed on the IL July 29th and stayed there for the entire month of August, activated on September 4th. Comes back, pitches two games, kind of poorly, might I add, and goes right back to the IL. He's placed on the IL for right elbow soreness, the exact same injury that held him out for all of August. So, hoping this isn't too serious. I mean, you're when you hear elbow soreness right away, you think, man, this could be a year plus if he needs Tommy John. It could be dangerous. It's his throwing arm. But we'll see. Right now, it's just soreness. So that's the update there. And Eric Cosmer, he 
is out indefinitely. We saw him fracture his finger yesterday. We don't know necessarily the timeline on that, but it's a good thing that at the very least they did go out and get Mitch Moreland, so they will have a competent first baseman, similar batted ball profile, another lefty that can play the field. And for them, at least they have that kind of silver lining. And for the Astros, we mentioned they lose Davinsky, but their silver lining is that they get Bregman back. And of course, a team that's been struggling and is on a losing streak if you've got to take one of them, you'd rather have your MVP candidate third baseman than your righty reliever. Yeah, and Bregman expected to be activated before today's doubleheader against the Oakland Athletics. Bregman hasn't played since August 19th, so definitely a situation where you get back a former MVP candidate. While it's never great to lose an arm like Davinsky, I think it's a decent consolation prize to get Bregman back. And with Bregman, they'll be trying to turn around a five-game losing streak. And the Yankees also looking to get back in the win column. They've lost four in a row now as they drop three to end their series against the Orioles. And they blow a 6-2 lead last night against the Blue Jays and ultimately lose 12-2 in what was just an absolutely crazy game. In the Battle of New York, the Buffalo Blue Jays take on the New York Yankees. When we talked about this game yesterday, we mentioned that Hyunjin Ryu had really hit his stride and was going to be a big part of the way that this game unfolded, but neither starter really contributes to the way that this game ends up. Hyunjin Ryu goes five innings, allows six hits, five earned runs. He walks two, but strikes out five, and he allows three home runs, and two of those were back-to-back early on as Luke Voigt and Aaron Hicks both went deep. Miguel Andujar tagged him for a solo shot as well. And then New York would add two more runs in the fifth inning with a two-run double from Clint Frazier. On the other side, Jordan Montgomery was in some trouble early on. Uh, Was able to work his way through some issues, though. He goes three and a third, allows six hits, two earned runs, two walks, and a strikeout, but didn't allow a home run. And this Yankees bullpen comes in, and they inherit a 6-2 lead. In the bottom of the sixth, the wheels come off for them as 10 of the first 11 Jays batters reach thanks to Chad Green and Adam Ottavino. Ottavino's line in this one, zero innings pitched, four hits against, six earned runs, two walks. Ouch. And that's part of this whole inning that surprises me because when I saw Chad Green getting up with a four-run lead in the sixth inning, I thought that seemed like a little much. That's one of your better relievers. You get him up, and you get Ottavino in after him. The Jays don't do this against some nobody. They don't do it against someone unproven like Clark Schmidt. They do it against Chad Green and Adam Ottavino, stringing together 10 of 11 base runners. Ultimately, the big grand slam from Danny Jansen, his fourth of the year. And there's some big history in this game. That was a 67-pitch inning for New York, the most they've thrown in an inning since 2009. And the last time a Yankees bullpen allowed 10-plus in an inning was June 22nd, 1932, according to Stats Inc. And that game was against the St. Louis Browns way back when. A couple other big performers here. Luke Voigt goes 2-for-4 with a home run, his 14th. We saw him hit that off of Ryu very early on, just the second batter of the game. He's now one shy of Trout and Tatis for the leads. Lourdes Gurriel as well for the Jays, a standout player. He goes three for five, but in all five of those at-bats, he hits a ball harder than 95 mile an hour. 
Three of them were over 100 mile an hour. The hardest, 107. He had a nice night at the plate. And this was a just a very offensive game where, really, the, the game slipped away from the Yankees. They had traffic early. They were hitting Ryu, you'd think with a more experienced bullpen, and when you get five off of Ryu, you have that 6-2 lead after Sean Reed Foley gave up one to make it 6-2. You'd think they were going to be fine here, but a tough break for the Yankees as they just lose it on the backs of two pitchers that should be better than they were, and they just weren't. And a big offensive output from the Jays, and it's pretty surprising when you consider that they lost Teoscar Hernandez to the 10-day IL before this game, and you haven't had Bo Bichette in the lineup for quite some time. So really nice to see some other Jays picking up the slack, but I don't think anyone could have expected an offensive output like this. We also saw quite a bit of offense in the U.S. nation capital as Scherzer got six runs of support from the Nationals. They win this one 6-1, to one, and Scherzer's record when he receives 5-plus runs of run support is now 109-0. and oh. He hasn't lost a single game with that much run support. He keeps it going here, and the difference was on the mound in this one. Charlie Morton, he only goes 57 pitches. We saw before he went to the IL, he was still only throwing 50 pitches first week of August. Then he's out for a few weeks, comes back in his last start. He goes 36 it was 57 last night, so he is working his way up, but he only goes five innings with that strict limit. Gives up four hits, but three earned runs because they were just stringing them together and not really hit all that hard. The first run he allowed was just a, a ground ball fielder's choice. He almost got out of the inning, but close call at first base. Run scores to make it one nothing. Then we saw a single that dropped in front of an outfielder just over shortstop's head for the second run. Turner scores from first to make it 3-0. I didn't think Morton was bad, but Scherzer was just on another level. He goes seven scoreless innings, striking out eight with just one walk allowed. And the Nationals add on three runs of run support. You know, they, they had that 3-0 lead early. They had three more late. And Scherzer exits with a 6-0 lead. Randy Arozarena makes it 6-1 with a solo shot. He's now got five home runs in just 37 at-bats. The Rays, I'll tell you, they can really scout these guys. It seemed like Arozarena was just not really going to be too much in the outfield with the Cardinals. Turning out to be a very legitimate hitter. He makes the 6-1 deficit, and he gets another chance. He comes up. The score is still 6-1. Top of the ninth. Bases loaded, two outs. Real chance to cut the deficit down. They go with their closer. Hudson comes in, strikes him out to end it. But a pretty interesting game that the Rays were in it for most of and had a real chance at the very end. And a Rosarina's been mashing the ball, but I mean, when you see a start like this from Scherzer, you could almost call it vintage Mad Max as he's moved himself into fifth in the current MLB standings for most strikeouts. He sits at 69 after this performance, uh, just dominant all the way through. And a pretty similar line from Zach Plezak against the Royals. Not quite as dominant, not quite as impressive as Scherzer, but Plezak also goes seven innings, allows just one run on a solo home run, 
and he gives up seven hits here, but pretty much exactly how you'd want to sprinkle seven hits on your line. He allows a single in each inning and a home run in his last inning, but no more than one base hit in any inning, as he spread them out perfectly, which meant with all those singles and none of them strung together, the Royals not able to get really anything going at all against them, and Cleveland wins this one 5-2. to two. Zach Plezak making his second start since being placed on the restricted list, and I thought he had everything working for himself. Uh, as you mentioned, the seven innings and only seven hits and one hit sprinkled into each inning of work. Uh, in this game, though, we saw Adalberto Mondesi hit his first home run of the season, and it was a no-doubt shot down the right field line as well. Some bad news for the Cleveland Indians, though, as Jose Ramirez was lifted from this game, citing a left thumb injury, but he noted that he had been dealing with it on and off for a couple weeks, so it's not clear at this time if Ramirez will be missing any extended time, but obviously a bat that you love to have if you're the Cleveland Indians, and you'd be sad to see him go. And this game was close right up until the end, really. Keller did look pretty good uh, as well. But in the end, a lot of these games for the Indians are just decided by the starting pitching. They've got so many guys that can go out there and throw dominant performances. And guess what? The Royals, you face Plezak last night. You get Tristan McKenzie tonight, another very strong young arm. Best of luck to them. But as we looked around the league last night, some nights we can report like 10 players have two home run nights. I think there was one where there was 12 last week ago. But last night, it was all pitching. We saw Denelson Lamette go seven and two-thirds with no runs against, no walks against, and 11 strikeouts against the Rockies. Very impressive from him. We saw the professor, as Kyle Hendricks, against the Cardinals, goes eight innings of one-run ball. Again, doesn't walk a batter, struck out four. We saw Chris Bassett, a guy that we will be talking about shortly, a team we'll be talking about shortly, go seven innings and doesn't allow a run or a walk as he continues to look sharp. But the one guy that we keep going back to seemingly week after week, Zach Gallen, his streak finally comes to an end in his 24th start of his career. He finally allows four earned runs or 23 games with less than that, comes to an end, sets the all-time records, but he allows four earned runs against the Giants in five innings, and still, pretty impressive streak. A very impressive streak, and... Obviously, now it's on to the next one for Zach Gallon. So you hope that you can start a new streak of consecutive starts with three or less earned runs, but a very, very dominant start to your career, no doubt. And two of tonight's strongest pitchers that are taking the mound are going head to head as Oakland and Houston go at it tonight at 6 10 p.m. Eastern as Zach Granke hosts Frankie Montes. Granke trying to thwart what's now a five-game losing streak for the Astros. Mentioned it earlier. They get Bregman back, but Oakland's look good. Mentioned they quieted the bats of the Astros last night, and this team is really struggling, but I think you're back at home. You get Bregman. I think now is just about the time that they should be turning around this losing streak, and I've got the Astros in this one. This game, the first half of a doubleheader. Uh, Frankie Montes, a guy who started out the year pretty strong, he even earned himself an AL Player of the Week award, but since then has gone through a pretty rough stretch. But it's different for Zach Greinke. He was good at the start of the season, and he's been good since. And if there's any time to snap a five-game losing streak, it's at home, especially when you have your ace on the mound. In Miami, they've got their ace of the future on the mound as Sixto Sanchez returns once again to face Kyle Wright. 
tonight at 7, 10 p.m. Eastern. Two of the top teams that have been sitting in those NL East playoff spots for just about the whole year. Miami struggling of late, trying to gain some ground back. Just a game and a half back now of the Phillies. Kyle Wright going for the Braves, a guy that has really struggled. I think I like the Braves' offense more, but I think Sixto Sanchez is going to be the difference maker here. He's really impressed me so far, and I've got to go with Miami here. And Kyle Wright making his first start since August 14th. He was optioned after a very rough start to the year. If you remember all those episodes ago, we kept talking about him and kept talking about how impressive he had the potential to become, but just didn't materialize in the early part of the year. He'll get another chance here against Sixto Sanchez, but Sanchez has lived up to that top prospect billing so far on the season. He strikes out everybody. His fastball sits at 98.5 miles an hour. Uh, I do like the Braves offense, but I think if Sanchez can shut them down and go deep in this one, I think he's going to give the Marlins a chance to take this one. And the final game we'll preview is Milwaukee and Detroit as Spencer Turnbull takes on Adrian Hauser tonight, 7, 10 p.m. Eastern as well. Two teams around the middle parts of their divisions. Neither team has really gone on too high of a stretch as of late. Milwaukee, they've lost their last couple. They could really use a win. Detroit now sits just two games back of the Yankees. They have a chance to make a really competitive run. We know they're in a little bit of a weaker division. They're going to have games left against the Royals. Some of the other teams they can maybe beat up on a bit. Both of these teams, the point is, still very much in the hunt here. I've got to go with Hauser, though. His stuff is filthy. We know this is a little bit of an undisciplined Tigers lineup, and I could see that fastball-slider combo just lighting them up all night long. A couple of interesting stories here on the mound for both teams. Hauser is 0-3 on the year with a 6-9-2 ERA in his last five outings, and his last time out against Detroit He saw some struggles early on, but Spencer Turnbull leads all American League pitchers in walks this season. Uh, Turnbull, hyper-intense guy. You're going to see him talking to himself on the mound a ton. I saw him pitch against the Cubs a couple of weeks ago, and I thought he looked really, really strong. If Turnbull can limit his walks in this game and he can stay inside the strike zone, I think he's going to give the Tigers a chance to take this one over the Brewers. Well, that'll be it for our show today. Check those three games out tonight, and we'll be right back here tomorrow with the scores, results, and news from those games and the rest of the league right here in 20 minutes or less. You can find the show on Twitter at Trip Morning, and you can find the show on Instagram at Morning Round Trip. And for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, thank you for listening, and have a great day.